Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 196 of Lockdown Canadians. I am one of your co-hosts. I am Scott Matla, and I am joined, as always, by the active stick, Laura Saba. And Laura, it is just after game three on Sunday night. Are you awake, or or am I going to do this while chugging Red Bull all night? (laughs) I am awake, and honestly, even though the game was frustrating, I think that there's a lot of positive that we can draw from the last two games. I think that the series is still winnable. I think the Flyers are still beatable. I have so much reason to believe, and I'm excited to tell everyone why. Yeah, this game was... And we are going to highlight the positives. I'm not going to talk about Elaine Vigneault's trap game nightmare mess, whatever we want to call it, because we haven't gotten to talk to our listeners since Friday when the Montreal Canadiens put up a five spot and chased Carter Hart from the game and looked incredible. And then into this game, they just kind of did not have that same intensity or the Flyers just changed whatever they were doing. But as of right now, the series stands at two games to one, and I still don't feel impressed by the Philadelphia Flyers. They have a series lead despite being outscored five goal or no, six goals to three over the course of three games. And at no point in time have I looked at this Flyers team and went, wow, yeah, they're the top seed in the East. They had to play a defensive muck and grind style to beat the 24th ranked team in the NHL. And they barely did that because the Canadians hit five posts. Laura, how are you feeling, you know, three games into this so far? I truly, I've been very impressed with what the Habs have been able to do, not just in terms of their expectations of the Habs, but also the expectation, uh, the expectations people had about the Flyers. I think the Canadians have been really impressive. I think that they came out their first period in The first game and in the third game of the series has been not great. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. You know, it it was not the Habs' best work. But honestly, other than that, I've been very, very impressed with them. And and you brought up, you know, Alain Vigneault's trap game. But it wasn't even a successful trap. It was just a comedy of errors. Like the team... The teams kept stealing the puck from each other. Generally, the trap will kill the game. And, you know, the, 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 the team, like, I guess, like, in this case, it would have been the Flyers, would have maintained possession, but not really allowed the Canadians to do anything. But that's not what was happening in this game. I feel like even the trap that they tried against the Canadians was sort of like a failure as a strategy. And really, the big reason that the Canadians did not win that game was they weren't able to score on Carter Hart. And and I, I truly believe that. I know that the Canadians had a very undisciplined, unimpressive first period in that game. I'm not going to lie about that. But I I just I don't think that what Elaine Vigneault set out to do was a successful long-term strategy. So I still feel like the Canadians could win this series. Obviously, mathematically, it's a little bit harder now. But I'm not going to lose faith until they're actually eliminated. Yeah, what strikes me about this game and that someone brought up in the Eyes on the Prize Slack is the Flyers got their one nothing lead off a weird deflection off of Jacob Voracek. What happens if one of the two posts the Canadians hit like immediately after goes in? You know, when the Flyers then have to play, they can't just sit back. The last time they had to try to play to keep up and generate offense, the Canadians took the game to them. 
And it kind of seems to me like Elaine Vigneault doesn't want to try and run his horses at even strength because they haven't been that impressive. I couldn't have told you whether or not Claude Giroux played tonight. The only, the only time I noticed Kevin Hayes was when he was falling over half the time. I look at this game and the Canadians are doing something that frightens the Flyers enough that their best option is to just slow everything down. And at the same time, the Canadians' defense can do that. We saw it against Pittsburgh. They don't mind taking the time and just, you know, forcing plays to the outside and transitioning the puck. But tonight, anytime someone touched the puck, it just seemed like it wasn't hitting sticks. It just seems like it was getting flung down the ice on both sides. Neither team wanted to really grow and take control of this game. And it's so odd after the way we watched this team play on Friday where the Canadians came out and they just put their foot down straight through the Flyers. Tonight they had a little bit and then a goal went in and then the Flyers just clamped down. And that's something Kirk Muller has to adjust for now. He, If they're going to put four guys at the line, you got to chip it over them and go through them. And if they stand there and interfere with you, you're going to draw calls on that. It's all about adjustments now. Because if this is how Elaine Vigneault is going to play the game, and I have no reason to believe he's not going to, you have to, you know, adapt to that. If they're going to hold the line and park the bus like they do in soccer, you got to figure out a way to move that bus, and you got to score goals to do that. And that starts with don't shoot at shin pads and feet, you know. You guys prove that you can score high-skill goals. Try and attack with speed and get the Flyers backing up. Do something that doesn't let them stay stationary and just get sticks everywhere because it reminded me of game one where flyer sticks just tied up everything. I was talking about this game while it was going on with a friend. We were texting back and forth and I, at some point I was, I was just like, I don't understand why the Canadians don't try to be more aggressive. They're already down one nothing. What are they going to lose if they try to be a little bit more creative? And that's something that I would have wanted to see from them. Other than that, I would still say that the Canadians were the better team. You know, the Flyers, there were a lot of lucky chances. For example, I think that the Canadian Twitter account claims it was five posts. It was it was at least three uh, posts that they hit. And, you know, they like Carter Hart was able to stop a lot. They They did like the Flyers blocked a lot of shots. And it's not because they were playing a tight defensive game. It is because the Canadians were putting a lot of shots on goal. And if that was like, if the one, if there is one thing that I would change about the way the Canadians played, they, I would want them to be a bit more aggressive and a bit more creative because yes, you do run the risk of making mistakes, but there's already been a goal in your net. You're not going to be able to equalize by playing into the, the flyer system. That's not how it works. And these teams can play amazing hockey games against each other. I understand it's the playoffs. So basically what they're doing is they're playing not to lose games. And I really, I would like to see the Canadians be a little bit more creative, a little bit more aggressive, even on the penalty kill. Just just really, you know, think outside the box and try to take back your own game. Yeah, and we are going to touch a lot more on a lot of the good things we've seen, you know, across these two games since we've talked to you all last, and we're getting to those coming up next. Now, that Game 3 loss stings, and it's obviously easy to be frustrated, but I want to focus on the bigger picture here, and we've talked about it a lot in these playoffs, but Laura and I have had one noticeable trend throughout this entire series so far with the Flyers, is that Jesperi Kotkaniemi is a grown-ass man, and is playing grown-ass man <laughs> hockey now. 
And it's amazing. <laughs> I don't know if it's the neck beard, if it's the muscle, if it's just the recuperation time. He's just becoming a bull out there on the ice. And it's becoming more and more apparent the Flyers are game planning for him and not Nick Suzuki or Philip Deneau or Max Domi. They're honing in on him now. And for good reason, he's been incredible in this series. I have to tell you, I think what happened with Kotkaniemi is simply that he finally understood what they needed from him. And I think that that was a situation where in the regular season, we saw him flounder quite a bit of the time. And I think really it, it does feel like he didn't know what was expected of him. He didn't know what his role was supposed to be. And it could be a failure of communication on the part of the team. That might be it. But it really feels like he went away from being first demoted and then getting an injury to coming back and really understanding what he needed to do to be successful as part of this team. And I'm so impressed with that. I I, I know you're saying, like, he's a grown-ass man playing grown-ass hockey. And, and and my whole thing is, like, I'm like, he's a murder child. <laughs> Because it truly, I, I just, I found him like, you know, every time you looked at him, if he wasn't doing something creative offensively, he was slamming himself into uh Sean Couturier. I was about to say Claude Giroux, but it was really like, he's really been focusing on the stars of the op- opposing teams and really giving it, like giving them a hard time physically. And so I truly like, I, I just, I'm so impressed with the work that he's done mentally and strategy wise I don't even know like we talked a bit about how he he took some skating lessons while he was back in Finland over the pause we talked a little bit about how he's tried to grow himself but his attitude has changed completely and I think we talked about it with Drewan as well having that confidence and knowing what's needed from you is makes a world of difference and he just seems so confident now he does not seem lost and when you're not lost you're less prone to making mistakes like he was doing in the regular season. Yeah, and I'm actually looking now, uh, Julian McKenzie in the Eyes on the Prize Slack, because Kotkaniemi was one of the players in the Zoom call after the game, and he got asked a question about playing physically, and he didn't want to answer it. He says, it's not about me, it's about winning games. It's not about how I'm playing. This kid is so different than four months ago. He's still the goofy, weird giraffe child, but now also he's the goofy giraffe child who will straight up own your entire soul on the ice. He's developing so much into such a advanced player that I think a lot of people were expecting. And he's being, he's so good. He's got tons of power behind his shot. Like you said, he's throwing his body around. He's six foot two and he's using that frame to his advantage He's not the biggest guy, but he's still doing what he needs to out on the ice. And pairing him up with the line that he's on now, Druan and Domi have had their flashes. Now they got to continue to try and get to that level because a lot of people wondered if Kotkaniemi was going to be able to keep up with his time off going into this playoff series. Now I'm wondering if there's anyone else on this team who can keep up with Kotkaniemi. Maybe Nick Suzuki, but he's centering another line. I almost wonder if we see a switch again soon and Nick Suzuki and Jesperi Kotkaniemi switch places and uh, Suzuki is with Domi and Druan and they go all skill and flash on that line and Kotkaniemi moves up with Gallagher and Tatar to continue that heavy puck possession, you know, shots in close kind of thing because he's battling around the net. 
the evolution of Jesperi Kotkaniemi in the playoffs just continues to impress me more and more each game. And in a game where it was defensive and ugly and nothing was, you know, going well for a lot of people, he was still a positive possession player. He was actually one of the most used forwards at even strength tonight. The only two people he was behind in ice time or at five on five was, it looks like, Ben Sherratt and Brett Kulak, which is amazing for everyone who wanted him to play more. You're getting your wish now. Not only that, he's succeeding, but also how about Brett Kulak? Like tonight, it's it's so obvious, you know, when he makes a mistake and we have praised him. It's not like we've neglected him over the course of, of, of the postseason. But tonight, I just kept seeing little smart things from Kulak where I was like, Oh man, you know, like that, that definitely stole a chance away from the Flyers because they'd have one of their top two lines on the ice or somebody really threatening on the ice. And I'm like, Brett Kulak was in the right place at the right time. And that was something that I was a little bit worried that was going to happen without Claude Julien there. And I noticed multiple times as the Canadians were playing. And like I said, they were getting around that trap that Alain Vigneault had tried to create. And they just seem to be in the right place at the right time defensively. What I would like to see a little bit more is having them be like having that that spatial awareness in the offensive zone, because there were times when the Canadians might have had a chance, but they didn't really have the right person or they were just passing to nobody. Like there'd be a centering pass and nobody would be rushing up to get in there. And that's something that was missing a little bit at times from this game, not to say that it was missing completely, but I thought their defensive uh, awareness was just so much better than we're used to seeing from this team. And they seemed so calm doing it too. Like it just, there was always like somebody in the right place at the right time. And then once they got right into that, that, that offensive zone where you could create high danger chances, it was not happening. And I would like to see them sort of build on what they already had and make it happen in the offensive zone, too. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Brett Kulak was, again, absolutely incredible. He had moments when Carey Price got cut or caught out playing the puck. Brett Kulak was the guy there to help bail him out. And even and he was one of the first chances of the game. Like, he tested Carter Hart early, and then he was just phenomenal in his own end. And he's doing it quietly. It's not always flashy. But he's getting it done, and I continue to be so impressed by him that there's going to be a lot of tough choices to be made with the defense next year, and I'm glad to see that happening. There's plenty more good feelings, and we're going to kind of talk about maybe some of the other changes we'd want to see going into Game 4 on Tuesday afternoon, and we're going to get into those coming up next. Now, we've said multiple times that we don't think the Canadians have played poorly at all in this series. They've had some moments where they lapse. But across three games, I feel like Montreal has been the more dominant team in the way that they attack and possess the puck and that the Flyers have taken the role of being opportunistic in their goals. And now I'm kind of wondering, Laura, what kind of changes do you think the Canadians can make going into this? We talked about attacking more with speed. Do you think maybe shuffling some of the lines up a little bit to get someone like Brendan Gallagher, you know, more involved is something that Kirk Muller needs to do? I think what both the Penguins and the Flyers have been doing successfully is shutting up, shutting down, not shutting up. You can't shut Brendan Gallagher up. I'm not even going to start with that. Uh, shutting down, if not the entire top line, elements of the top line at times. 
And so I think what I would do is I would change things up. Like it was very successful moving Philippe Dano to another line. And I think what, what, what Muller has to do now is try to find a way to get Brendan Gallagher free. Obviously, given that he is one of the Canadians top players and most efficient goal scorers, I would say that teams are concentrating on him and he's probably wearing multiple defensemen every night. And, you know, that that's definitely something that the it's up to the coaching staff to figure out a way around that. And like we said, we were talking about how teams are game planning for Kotkaniemi now. Maybe take a little bit of advantage of that. Maybe try and, and create situations where when they're busy trying to shut down Kotkaniemi, they're unable to get around to Brendan Gallagher. And that's I don't know who they would play him with necessarily, but I do think it's worth moving him down somewhere unexpected. Yeah, I kind of wonder if part of it is that, one, I think he's playing injured for one thing. He looked rough in the Pittsburgh series where he got banged up uh, after a hit with Chris Letang. I don't think he's playing at 100%. And I know some people were, you know, saying we need more from Thomas Tart. The guy scored two goals literally last game. It's very easy to forget immediate contributions after one stinker of a game. And I think a lot of getting Brendan Gallagher going is they need the power play to click. And what's amazing in this series is that the Canadians' power play is not the worst one on the ice on every single night. I don't understand how the Flyers' power play is so absolutely inept in that they were given multiple chances by Chris Lee tonight, which I will not rant about Chris Lee on this podcast. We are a family show, and there are too many words I would like to say about Chris Lee that would ruin that. How I don't understand how either team on their power plays are just struggling so much, despite what Elaine Vigneault thinks. And getting the power play going is the key to this team, is that we've seen what happens when the power play goes. They put up five goals. What can they take from game two and bring that into game four now? What were they doing on the power play? And I think a big thing is they were moving the puck well and forcing Carter Hart to move. Victor Mete on the power play now on the second unit gives them some added mobility at the point and frees up guys to move the zone. It's more fluid than when Shea Weber used to just man the point and uncork slap shots. Having Petrie and Weber together creates two shooting threats from the blue line. They cannot hone in on one or the other. And Mete on the second unit forces them to defend a more fluid situation. They need to watch film from game two, I think, and borrow some of the things from their power play goals and see what they need to do. And that starts with getting Carter Hart moving and then attacking the center of the ice. I definitely think that is the way forward, especially if they're going to try and play this muck and grind game that's going to have interference and holding penalties all over the place, I'm sure. I just don't want Chris Lee to ever referee another Canadians game again. It's not in my head. So we always talk about how, no, the officials are not biased against your team. They just suck. And I truly agree with that. But I feel like Chris Lee's the kind of like uh, referee that gets it into your head, gets into his head some preconceived notion about you, and then he just rolls with it for the rest of your career. So you take one stupid penalty early in your career in front of us that he can see, and then that's it. From then on, you're just you're that guy. You're like the slew foot guy, or you're the slashing guy. 
you know, and it just, it really bothers me. Like, I don't, I, I'm not stupid. I don't, or crazy. I don't think he's biased against the Canadians. I think he's really bad at his job. And I think that he really does tend to, he tries to also control the flow of the game. So, you know, yes, it is Alain Vigneault that, that, that decided to play the stupid trap, but he does tend to try and insert himself into games a lot. That really, really bothers me. He tries to control the flow of the game. He sees it as the referee's job to control the flow of the game when really that's the coach's job. The referee's job is discipline. That's it. That's what you're there to do. So don't like don't create horseshit penalties out of your ass and and just just let them play. It's the playoffs. Every other referee is letting them play, sometimes to the team's detriment, sometimes causing injuries. And you just try and like give penalties to everybody whether or not it's deserved. It's just it's so annoying. And before we wrap up this episode, I, I am going to address the elephant in the room in that Elaine Vigneault went and cried his eyes out after the Canadians put their top power play unit on the ice at the end of game two. And honestly, I have to question whether or not Elaine Vigneault's actually watched the Canadians power play this year. And I have to say this, whether it's gamesmanship or whatever, it's the playoffs and you play to win the game. Kirk Muller's out there making sure his team wins and on that power play, I don't recall the Canadians doing much of anything other than rimming it in and scrumming along the boards in the final two minutes. And Elaine Vigneault took that so personally that he took all of the offense that was in that game, took it behind Scotiabank Arena, and beat it to death with a club and gave us whatever the hell game three was. And honestly, if you're upset about the power play being out there and it's embarrassing for you, Try not to get blown out of the water in ahead of the game and don't put yourself in that situation. I honest to God wanted, want the Canadians to get another late power play and I want Kirk Muller to top, toss out his top unit again. Hell, pull Carey Price if you're up by enough goals. Really rub it in. And yes, I'm being petty because crying over things like that in the playoffs is just absolutely ridiculous. You don't want to get embarrassed. Don't give up five goals. It's simple as that. I just love being in a series where Claude Julian isn't the one being accused of whining. Yeah, it's kind of amazing that everyone talks about how, you know, the Canadians fan base gets all the calls and this and that. And the only one so far who's been complaining about much of anything in this series is Elaine Vigneault so far. There hasn't been anything worth complaining about, so apparently he honed in on the one thing that he could. And everyone talked about how it's to motivate his team or whatever, and it's like, you want to motivate your team. You went out there and got your star goalie shelled for four goals and didn't look like you even wanted to try. You don't need to point out a two-minute window at the end of the game after all that happened. You want to point out something embarrassing? You got your ass handed you on a platter. Don't invent some narrative. You need to tell, be a coach and tell your team, you guys got beat. You need to be better. I don't know what other motivation you could need. Come out and be better. I don't know if Game 3 was better or not. It was certainly more boring, and they won, so I guess. But I, I don't want this series to be that stupid, petty nonsense. I want it to be exciting, and I really hope that Game 3 is the outlier in this series because Games 1 and 2 were fantastic. Game 3, I would rather never see again. It was like the 2000 New Jersey Devils decided to plan this entire game. It was that kind of boring. But all I know is Game 4 is on Tuesday afternoon at 3 p.m. 
I will unfortunately not be able to be here. I have standing plans. We will have a special co-host with Laura for after that game. I will be joining in spirit from the backseat of a car driving back from Syracuse. So I will unfortunately not be here for what will hopefully be a win. I will be back for game five on Wednesday, though. Uh, as always, thank you so much for listening. If you want to follow this podcast, you can follow it on Twitter at LO underscore Canadians. You can follow Laura at The Active Stick. You can follow me at Scott Matla. Remember, we are doing money on the board for Lebanon Disaster Relief. I'm donating for Habs Goals and Carey Price Shutouts. Laura is donating for Carey Price's Saves. Any little bit you can give if you're able to help so much. If you want to find this podcast on your smart device, you can find it on Google, Apple, Spotify, wherever you like. Thank you so much for listening. Now ask your smart device to play the latest episode of Locked On NHL.